Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Tonight what I want to do is I want to talk to you about uh, receiving from the Lord. And while on the one hand we could title it Preparing to Receive the Baptism in the Spirit, I want to, because really this is what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 5. Now it's a, a passage on prayer, it's a passage on receiving from God, but Jesus wraps it up by talking about, and will not the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Because there's a lot of people, and you're in that process of waiting on the Lord. You have not yet received that fullness. And so there are some who are saying, well, you know what? It didn't happen, so I guess it's not going to happen. And that's exactly what the enemy would like you to think. And Jesus tells the disciples a parable that I believe had everything to do with their waiting for 10 days in the upper room. Not only are they waiting because he commanded them to in Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5, but they are really, I believe, encouraged and held because they're remembering what Luke records for us in Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 through 13. But beyond that, we could also say that in all of our lives, there are things that we need God to do that are not going to happen with just casual prayer. Some things will only happen when we fast. Some things will only happen in our life and through our life as we're filled with the Spirit. And some things only happen in our life when we give ourselves to a persistent kind of prayer that has a fervency, that has a tenacity, that, that has a sense of, I am going to go to God. I so believe this is the will of God. I'm going to go to God until I receive from God the thing that I need from him. I mean, all of us can face circumstances, and there's times we're not sure what the will of God is. I know that can happen to people. Honestly, though, I think a lot of what happens to people is they don't know the will of God because they're not really committed to living out the will if they did know it. I mean, I was talking today to the students that one of the keys to knowing God's will is to say yes to his will before you know what it is he's asking you to do. Too many people operate on a conditional, well, if I like it, and if I agree with it, and if it's something I want to do, then I will do it. But if you really want to know the will of God, you've got to be at a place, and you've got to live at a place that says, listen, God, if you say it, I'm going to do it, and that settles it for me in my heart and in my life. I'm going to do your will no matter what, because I want to walk before you. In fact, I'm looking right now on my iPad. I'm going to pull up a verse that I think is important important for us. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out what his will is. They'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. In other words, if you want to know the will of God, you've got to be committed to the will of God. One of the best things you could do, honestly, is to say, God, whatever your will is in my life, that's what I want. Present him with a blank check. I was just saying, the other, I was saying to the, the team today, 
that this week, there's just, I think it's just good at times to do this, to say, Lord, my life is in your hands and whatever you want from me, that's what I want. So if you want me in my situation, if you want me to resign, if you want me to sell everything I have, if you want me to, I mean, if you want me to give it all back to you, I'm in. That's a, that's a sobering thing. You don't say that lightly. But I know this to be true, and so does anybody else in this room who has, who has lived that kind of surrendered life, that the place of power, the place of presence, the place of peace is in the center of his will. That God knows better than you and I do what, what it is that will benefit us most and will bring us the greatest joy. So this idea of surrendering ourselves to the will of God on the one hand, and then as we say yes to God, what happens when you say yes, when you give him a blank check and you say, God, whatever it is you want to do with my life, have your way, I'm in, I want to do that. Then what happens as a result of that is you begin to find yourself knowing the will of God in, to a greater degree in more areas you have a sense of God's leading. So this idea of surrendering to the will of God, and then once we know God's will, to walk in it, and in those moments where we don't see it happening, to pray it into existence. So in Acts chapter 1, and we'll pick it up here, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus has told them, listen, it's not going to take a long time, but it's going to take some time. Ten days for a lot of people would seem like an eternity if you're waiting on God, if that's all you were doing was stopping life and saying, I'm going to wait on God. But the disciples are fueled by the command of God, by the resurrected Christ. Jesus has promised them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. God is going to change you. He is going to transform you. He is going to empower you to do what you have not naturally been able to do up to this point. And so they wait. Tonight there are some and you need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. There's others and you've not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, it's absolutely essential to Christian development. As well, there are some, and tonight you need a breakthrough in an area of your life. It could be in a, in a it could be related to your business and there's something you need to see happen. You need a breakthrough. It could be in a relationship. It could be in a circumstance financially, it could be physically, it could be emotionally, but you need God to do something that you know only he can do. And you fill in your heart, it's his will to do. This scripture is an encouragement to us to pray, 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 and pray until we receive from the Lord. 
If we ever stop praying, then the devil is one. If we ever stop praying, then the answer is not going to come. If we ever stop praying, we're going to learn to live with less than would have been God's will for our life. James said, you have not because you ask not. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Prayer then is absolutely critical. And Jesus taught the disciples following the Lord's prayer, this parable, teaching them about prayer and perseverance in prayer. Let's read it, Luke chapter 11, verse five. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Because remember, the chapter starts with them saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's very, very interesting. They understand prayer is the key to everything they see in his life that is supernatural. They don't say, Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. They don't say, Jesus, teach us how to draw crowds. They don't say, Jesus, teach us how to preach. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray because when we watch you pray, we, we see what happens as a result. So they want to know how to pray. He gives them a model of prayer and then gives them a parable to teach them to persevere in prayer. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a great parable, an encouraging parable. God answers prayer, and especially when it comes to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, the key to understanding this parable is verse 8. I'm going to read it to you from several different translations. The ESV says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he wants. In the King James, it says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. In the NIV, it says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The word really is importunity. The question is, how are we to understand it? And whose importunity are we talking about? Are we talking about the man who is knocking on the door, asking for his friend to help him? Or are we talking about the friend 
and his importunity. That's the issue. When you go to the New Living Translation, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. That's one way to translate it. In that case, it's the friend knocking on the door who is shamelessly persistent. What I want to suggest to you is that a better rendering of that word in the understanding is in order, he will get up and give you whatever you need in order to avoid shame or so his reputation won't be damaged. In other words, you and I are the person knocking on the door and God is the friend inside who has what we need. On the one hand, there is the importunity. There is the shameless persistence. There is that knocking, 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 knocking. I gotta have your help. I I need you on our part. On the other part, there is the importunity or the honor of the person inside who is going to avoid shame so his reputation won't be damaged. And what does the Bible say about God? Those who hope in him will not be disappointed. Those who hope in him will not be put to shame. Repeated in scripture. Now, as we look at this, I want to give you just four. I want to divide this up into four thoughts. First of all, there's the parable, chapter 11, verse 5. Then teaching them more about prayer, use this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. In the third world, people don't have a lot, and they have to depend on one another. So there's no Walmarts. There's no come and goes. There's no late night runs to McDonald's or to Taco Bell or wherever it is you like to go. Honestly, bread is a staple in so many cultures around the world. So this friend comes at the worst time. A man has a friend come from in out of town. He comes at a, the worst time in the world for a visit and he's, and and this friend has not eaten, and so now the man has the responsibility to host his friend. In our culture, we are fast losing any sense of hospitality and responsibility for hospitality. In the independence of our Western society, we're like, hey, tough luck, you'll be fine, just get over it, wait till morning. In the oriental mindset, that's not how it works. Even if a person is your enemy, if he comes in under your roof, you have a responsibility to care for him. You have a responsibility to give him your best, to provide for him. And so this friend comes, and and now he's got a responsibility to provide for this friend who is coming to visit him. A loaf of bread would be a piece of flat bread. And in verse six, it says this, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. So 
it, it's not unordinary for people to travel at night during the heat of the day, be very, very hot. So they might, they might uh, travel at night. They arrive. When they arrive, hospitality is expected. It's a social duty. It's a, for Jewish people, a religious du duty. Um, even for some Muslim people, there is a cultural, religious expectation of hospitality that is involved there to care for strangers. So this guy with the unexpected guest, he faces a dilemma. He can be a poor host, and that will reflect not only on him and his family, but on the village itself, or he can go and wake up his neighbor. You say, I'd be a poor host and go to bed, but because um, you don't want to bother people. But that is really not an option he has. So verse seven, here's what happens. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, so he goes and he knocks and he says, hey, I have somebody who showed up at night. I need some bread. He knocks. There's no answer. He knows the guy's in there. So he knocks again. He says, hey, I need your help. I have somebody who's come. The guy inside says, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. What we're, what we're talking about is a one-room house. We're talking a, a, a mat in the corner, and the family is all there. And if you have had small children, you know the last thing in the world you want is somebody to wake the kids up. Right. Amen. I mean, none of our kids, none of our kids were easy to get down for the night. I mean, they cried, and all of them had my lungs and went for the big band sound. I mean, it was, I, I think, I think all of them, it was 15 to 18 months before they would sleep through the night. I mean, it was really crazy. So we can relate to this guy. Shh, you wake up my kids. You're going to, you're going to have more problems than not having bread. I can't help you. Verse eight. But I tell you this, though, he won't do it for friendship's sake. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need in order to avoid shame or so his reputation won't be damaged. Because if he doesn't help you, now the village is going to say, you didn't help your friend. He was your friend. He had a responsibility to host. He came to you. You had bread and you wouldn't give him bread. Are you kidding me? He's going to be shamed in the village. He is going to be, he's going to be looked down on because he has not helped. So what Jesus is saying is you and I are the person knocking on the door and the heavenly father is the one inside and we're knocking and we're knocking. And though, and, and I mean, it's a bit of a hyperbole. It's not that, that God would would ignore us, but God is going to help because when you and I go to God, his reputation's on the line. He understands that. His word is on the line. And so in order to avoid shame or so his reputation won't be damaged, what he's going to do is he is going to keep his word. He is going to answer prayer. He's not going to let somebody say, I prayed and I prayed and prayed and nothing happened. God didn't do anything. That's impossible. Well, number, number two, there's the promise. Here's what Jesus says. And so I, it's in the emphatic uh, I, it's ego. It's, and I tell you, the one who knows the father, the one sent from the Father to reveal God to us. 
He says, I tell you, keep on asking. Look at it, all of verse nine. So I tell you, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I mean, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. If you keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. If you keep on seeking, you will find it. If you keep on knocking, the door will be opened unto you. Then he reiterates it in a promise in verse 10, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That is God's promise. The person who keeps on asking is the one who receives. Some of you stopped asking. You assume because it didn't happen after a few tries, it wasn't going to happen. That's not true. You got to keep on asking. 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 Some things require not an hour of prayer, not a week of daily prayer, not a month of prayer. They require asking, 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 asking. And we err if we give up. There are some things that are God's will, but they're only going to happen if you and I persevere in prayer. We have to keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking. Now, some of you will misunderstand this, but I want you to, I want you to because you'll take it wrong and you'll take it as disrespectful toward the Lord, and, and it's not that at all. It's a Puritan by the name of Thomas Godwin. And he wrote about this parable and this idea of going to the Lord and the, and the tenacity of a Christian and this idea of saying, God, this I believe to be your will, or this is what your word says. Your word says this, and God, I'm taking you at your word, and I'm reminding you of your word, and I'm praying, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to come until your will's done. And sometimes you just so know something is the will of God. You just know it and you say, you know what? I'm going to pray. 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 I'm going to keep on praying until it happens. Whatever it takes. Thomas Godwin, the Puritan, wrote this on boldness. He said, you could understand this as, as holding God to his word. When, when you go take somebody to court and, and there's a suit, you're saying you have a responsibility contractually to do this and I'm holding you to it. It's the idea of suing. Godwin, as a Puritan, said, Sue him for it. The idea is hold God to his word. Say, God, not disrespectfully, God delights in you and I. I listen, if my grandkids say, they say, Grandpa, you said we were going to do this. Am I like, well, how dare you? How disrespectful that you'd remind me of what I said to you and you'd hold me accountable. Who do you think you are, you little pipsqueak? I mean, <laughs> I would never say that. I delight in hearing my grandkids tell me, you said this, and are we going to do it? And I'm going to say, you bet we are. 
Listen, God, God delights in us coming to him on the basis of his word. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. Quote the scripture to him. The child may be slightly impertinent. It doesn't matter. The father likes it in spite of that. And God is our father and he loves us and he likes to hear us pleading his own promises, quoting his own words to him. He delight, it delights the heart of God. And then picking up on Thomas God when he says, sue him. Say, God, you said you would do this. I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm standing on your word. I'm believing your word. I'm praying your word. That's the attitude of bold prayer that says, you said if I knock, I, you'll open the door. You said if I seek, I'm going to find. You said if I ask, I'm going to receive. God, I believe this is your will, and I won't let go until your will is done. Third, and we'll move quickly here, there's the principle. Fathers do good to their children. Friends may not help when they have the power to do it, but not a good dad. My children never hesitated to ask me for what they needed. And they expected if they needed it and we could do it, they would get it. That's the point. Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Your fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If they're asking for something that they need, do you give them something else? Do you disregard them? Do you hurt them? Do you treat them with indifference? The answer is absolutely not. And our Heavenly Father is way more loving way more concerned, way more caring, way more powerful, way more interested than we are. That leads us to the premise, and this is the bottom line, verse 13. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And now we're launched into theology. He's talking to his disciples, although they are, although they are still sinful, people if sinful people would know how to do it he moves from the from the lesser to the greater if sinful people know how to give good gifts how much more would a good god in whom there is no sin know how to give good gifts to his children and if we would ask, if the Heavenly Father, if we'd ask him for the Holy Spirit, how much more would he be willing to do that? You can go to God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a, a compassionate God. And you can ask, but you have to ask. And you know what the bottom line is? That if we don't, if we don't persevere in prayer, we'll miss much of what God would want to do in our life. Not because he wasn't interested, not because he wasn't willing, but because we did not keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Listen, I've seen this over and over again in Debbie in my life, and you know, I can give you different personal examples or church examples where we've just watched things that didn't seem they were gonna happen, but we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking until it happens.
This is a this is a this is a delightful principle in the sense that this is the key to receiving much of what we need from God. It's not all there is, it's not the only thing there is, but it is one of the staples of receiving from God. Some of you tonight, you need you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and God wants to do it. It's just that you've become somewhat passive. You know, there's there's Charles Spurgeon said there's a prayer that begs God not to answer. And it's the half-hearted prayer. It's the prayer that's kind of like, well, God, if you want, then you could, and, you, and I hope you would. That is not the kind of prayer that gets an answer. The kind that says, God, I am knocking, I am coming to you, I am asking you, and I will not stop asking until I receive that which I am seeking from you. And you know, here's the thing, right now we're in a season where God is working powerfully and some of you are hearing stories and you're saying, well, it happens for other people. It doesn't happen for me and, and I don't think it ever will. And once you go there in your theology and once you go there in your thinking, the enemy's very happy because you've cut yourself off from receiving from God. And God has brought you here tonight. He's got you watching online because God wants you to know he's a God who delights in doing good things. Those who hope in him will not be disappointed. You can look to him, you can receive from him and God will do it.